Trusting with Kerry Jones. Hi guys, and welcome to the Christmas Podcast, Part 1. I say Part 1 because I will be putting up Part 2 in a couple of days. You will plenty of listening to over Christmas. I put together a selection of all the guests and episodes from this year. And as you can imagine, one every week. There's over 50 episodes. So, to make it more practical... I put it into two parts and part two I'll be putting up on Boxing Day so there's lots to be able to listen to so sit back and relax grab a beer or something stronger and maybe a mince pie and listen to my summary from 2022 enjoy episode 66 professional Irish fly tyre Jackie Mahan like I mean I just won't go out, throw something into a pot. I go out, I'll, I'll wash it, make sure yeah. that, that grease is off it, and I'll stand there, make sure the colour is right. I think, I think the colours, the Irish colours, there's nothing like it in the whole, oh, whole no. world. If you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and you know, and that's that's basically, you know, we we, you know, I I just think the colours are just something. It, it, it makes a difference to a fly as well, Terry. You know. A lot yeah. of people will be saying to me, "Is can I have that dressing for that fly?" I, you know, half the time I can't say to them, "Listen, I can't give you the dressing because you won't have it, no. and they won't have it." You know, no. and that's the one thing with it, with will the person die in his own materials? It's very hard to explain to people that what I have, even what I die today, is totally going to be totally different than what Tony Sullivan has in Cork. Yeah, because it's to do with the water as well. My water is more boggy here, so oh, I'm nice. going to get a different color. Than, I'm going to get a different color. What than what Tony has because he he'd be more mineral in his water, if you know what I mean, down in Cork. Yeah, where I have come, my water is coming from an actual bog coming down from the Ben Bulbin down through the bog. So my water quality will be different than Tony's, and that makes a difference with the dye-in as well. Back to your question. Tony's colours it'd be different than my colours if you know what I mean as well yeah. and you know Tony often sends me colours I often send Tony colours because the, the colours are just totally different yeah and the work that goes, the work that goes in with a curry is just but I, it's worth it it's worth yeah. it it's absolutely worth it I suppose it's meticulous as well if you want to reproduce a colour which you had done previously it's not just a case you've got to remember I guess you've got to write everything down have you I have everything written down. I have a book here belonged to my grandfather. I started making my own dyes. Um, uh, there recently, I put a cape, I think, up yesterday of um, of, of, of a colour. I, I want to get more into that. I'm looking to do more of that, to be honest with you, Curry, for next year. Uh, it's just amazing, like, the different between seaweeds, uh, different times of year to go and, uh, and to lift that seaweed after a heavy frost or a storm. Yeah. It's just different things. Even even magenta, like done with blue bottles, boiling blue bottles to get magenta. You boil, know, it's boil just different blue, things. Boil blue bottles. Actually, blue bottles to get magenta. You know, well, get a load blue of blue bottles. bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to get different colours. Adding even even down to roots of of some flowers and putting the actual roots in and boiling to get your colours. Yeah. And I definitely want to get more and more into that end of Episode 91, Welsh Rivers expert, Terry Bromwell. There's someone to talk to you about now. <laughs> and this is what brought you some fame now, haven't it? You're a pin-up pin up guy, <laughs> yeah, you know, aren't I'm a tough pin-up boy. <laughs> Tell me what happened then. Tell me the story with that, with this big fish you had up in the Don, isn't it? Yeah, River Don in Scotland, in the International. Um, um, it was my first... Peg C3, and uh, I was under a bridge, and the weather was boiling, and the river was really low. And all the Renunculus beds, you could see the weed all through the river. It's a river. big river, 
Yes, massive. It, it, it's nothing like here. Oh no, this is this is a brook compared to the Don. It's it's wide and it's and it looks like you can wade here, but you get up above your knees and they'll take you off your feet. And for us, the spiders are working well, so we're using them above the the French leader. We used them on the French leader, but putting the spiders in the droppers. And in amongst the weed, we had like 20, 25 inches apart from the from the nymph to a spider, and like shaking the tip through the weed beds, and we were getting measures. So again, the spider to flicker, because right, yeah. it was pearling here, it was flashing, and it seemed to it seemed to get the fish. And um, we we've done that in practice. We done a little bit of it in practice. We were catching fish, so we stopped doing that and find something else. You know, so if we fall back on. And uh, that's what I set up. I set a French leader up with a four mil, 3.5 mil on the point and a size 14 black pearly spider. There's two flies. Yeah, two flies, yeah. And uh, I was fishing the inside seam first and I caught two fish pretty quickly. And then I come from there then because I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to overfish it just in the second session because it was tough fishing, it wasn't easy. And... Um, I left it for a little bit, looked for another fish. It was, not, it was nothing really going, so I come back. And where the, where the pool was, would drop in and you had about three foot of water in the end of the pool, there, there was like a washout and it was like really thick, thick, relentless, just thick lines. And there was like little channels and I seen this one channel and it just looked like it stopped. So I thought, oh, I'll chuck the, chuck the bugs in the end, just shake a tip. I chucked the bugs in. I turned the rod to the side. I was bringing it through just a little bit faster than the current, and I was just shaking the tip. But I fished a French leader. I, was, I had a 15-metre daiki, daiku leader. So I was pretty far away, so I weren't disturbing the fish in the weed. And it stopped, but I felt it through the rod. It thump. You know, sometimes you, you have a salmon, and then you feel him on worms or whatever. You thump, thump. It just, it just thudded. And I struck, and as I struck and I draw the line, the line just come towards me slow, just come straight at me. And I took my controller was behind me. I went, oh, no. And he, he was like, what's the matter? As I was saying, what's the matter? The line went slack in my hand and the fish was just above my head, just completely, wow. just water spray everywhere. And this trout was just flicking through the air. And I was like, and I, I went, that's a brownie. And I, I was expecting to see trout because we were catching sea trout up and some of the boys hooked some big fish we never got to see and we thought they were big sea trout. And uh, But as it turned in the end, flicked and the water spray, and it was like slow motion in my head. <laughs> and I was like, this is a fish, this, this is insane. So I dropped the rod and then it just went crazy. And it just, the power. I could, leader you had on? I, I had the Annex 3.5 fluorocarbon 3. on. Yeah, it was nothing. I won the dropper as well. On the dropper, yeah. Which, I, at that time, I, which one did he take? He took the dropper, oh. the spider. But I didn't know he took the dropper until I got a little bit closer. I was so like, you were the weed bed next to it. Yeah, the, oh, there was just thick. It was like a chalk stream, thick, thick, like beds and beds and beds of weed. And he like kind of tail flicked out again. I dropped the rod and then he went under the weed. And I was like, I was like, I'm going to lose this fish. But I thought, right, okay, the best thing I can do is keep the nymphs away from the weed. I shoved the tip of the rod in the water. I had the handle like, like he was holding a dagger. And I pressed the rod, the tip, right into the riverbed. And I bent it down. And I put the line through my little finger. And I thought, he's under the weed. He's safe. He thinks he's safe. Oh, I see. You wanted him under. Yeah, so I wanted to keep all the gear right down the riverbed. Because the weed is... Because it was like thick weed coming out. It was like rafts. So under there, it was clear. So in my head, right. quick, thinking quickly, I was like, get him clear of it all. So what I started doing, I, I, he started to slow up, he, and I thought, he thinks he's safe under there. He, was, he weren't too bothered. So I was inching in him at the, at the time. It felt like it was forever, but it was seconds. So I kept on just pulling the line inch by inch, inch by inch, until I got him out. And I kind of like took, and as soon as he see me, out he came, whoosh. Jump again. Jumped again. Jumped four times he did. And um, my controller was like, my, I was like, I, I can't do anything with it. Your net is not good, that's it. I, no, I, uh, lucky I had my snowy net, my big net, and it oh. had an extendable handle on it. It would have been a nightmare if I didn't have that. Lucky I like a big net because it's quickly. And uh, so I was like, kept on turning him, turning him. And then the one time I turned him and he came out from a weed, I seen him flare his gills. I went, this, is, this fish is knackered. This fish is, he's stumbling. I was like, I got, I got you. And, wow. and I was like pulling the line. I turned the rod. 
he come down the side of the weed on me as he was turning I seen him his gills go again I thought I thought right take him down into the shallow water into the so he was on top of the little weed and amongst the stones and I seen him flounder and then I turned him I brought him in and I managed to like dive forward and scoop him as soon as I scooped the fish I looked in the net and I just looked in and I just looked up I went oh <laughs> I went oh my god I said thank you <laughs> I did and wow. I, I picked it up and I, it was like in my snowy net it was coming out it was up like this there's a picture on Facebook of the fish and my net now has got a bend in it Oh, I'd keep it like that. Yeah, yeah that's what I've left it. It's all it's bent where I held it. Yeah, so I yeah. kept him in the water, brought him over, and the head controller was in. He was like, he says, the biggest trout I've ever seen, he said. And the, the controller was like, how the hell did you get that? How do you land that fish? I said, I have no idea. And we took the pictures, and um, I was still in my session, and I was like, right. I start, I, I, we had we measured it. It was too big for the trough, so all my, all my, I got measurements on my, on my rod. So he put the, put the fish in the trough, and it was out, out about an inch and a half out of the trough. So he used the measurement of the rod, and the controller and another guy verified it, it yeah. verified it, the two of them, took photos, and he said it was 73.3 centimetres. Wow. And I was looking at it, I put him in the water, and I, I spent about five minutes with the fish. I was making sure he was all right. I was like, and then he was like, he, he, he took a little bit of time, but then I was just standing there, and the, the head controller come down, and he's like, "Yeah, he's all right." And and we, we he was right by the side of me, and he and he just started to kick, and I watched him go out to the pool around, and he went down river and turned and sat in the pocket pocket, and then you just seen him go away. Wow! I took the fly off, and I and I threw it into the river, and I said, "Thank you very much." You threw? I took the fly off. I caught it on, and I I sacrificed it to the fish. Stop. Episode 91, owner of Rainbow Valley Trout Farm, and also the man behind Wimbleball Reservoir, Mark Underhill. You know, fish, fish fitness really is the most, most important thing, really, for, for me, for Wimbleball, because I love hearing when, I know it's, a lot of fish don't like, don't like hearing when people get snapped off or lose, or that, but I love hearing that. <laughs> I know I put a fish in there that's just giving someone a nightmare, you yeah. know, and, and hearing people have gone down to the backing, I hear it a lot. You know, I hear, I, what I hear a lot is, it's the first time I've been down to the backing. It's the first time I've seen the backing. Yeah. You know, I hope my backing's tied on. But a gentleman last year who, whose backing wasn't tied on, just as, as, as soon as the fly line right? come off the reel, it went. It was gone. So, it was, uh, it's a costumistic. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> a bit of a nightmare for him. But yeah, I love, love all those stories. I hope it was a floating line. <laughs> at least you can follow it around me. Yeah, it was, it was found again. It was found again about a week later. Yeah. Um, the gentleman said it, you know, this massive fish took my line and it, was, it ended up being a two pound, a two yeah. ball, two pound. But they go, they go like rockets. I mean, they've yeah. got, got the depth up there. Yeah. Wimmerball is such a hard lake to fish if you're not a bloody good angler. Yeah. I am not a bloody good trout fishing angler. I love the trout fishing, you know, I, but I, I can see the difference between an average angler and the top boys. And I never really realised that until I took the lake on, really, and I can see it. And I think, difference. actually, listen to what you said, probably one of the biggest reasons why they're so fit is they didn't run in water here. Yeah, without a doubt. You know? Yeah. A lot of the lakes, some of the res was even, they did nets on the lake, which mm. you think is good, mm-hmm. same water. But, you know, th- th- there's no muscle as such in a lot of these fish. That's right, yes. You know? I mean, our, this site here has got 17 million gallons a day. So each, each pond's got a 10-inch pipe, full bore, a million and a half gallons a day going through. Yeah. You know, so these fish have got no choice. You know, they're swimming against current all day. But obviously, the better fish go into the leet to become yeah. even fitter again. And I'm actually designing a few things now, um, to hopefully, make them even fitter again. We're going to get them on site within the next couple of months, and hopefully, the fish will um, be even better yeah. for, for end of the season, next season. Well, there's a question I ask in all my podcasts, which probably is a, is a difficult, a strange one for you because you spend most of your time on the farm and running a fishery. There's still one question which I ask everyone, which I'll ask you. Mm. Where would you want to be to make your last cast? That's a good question. I've <laughs> <laughs> only got time to wait for me to think about that one. Hopefully I'm going to teach my son to fly fish this year. He should have been fly fishing years ago. He's, he's 20 years old now. He's caught salmon on the spinner and everything when he was a young man, or a young boy, shall I say. Um, 
hasn't really gotten to fly fishing over the years, but I said to him this year, you're going to learn to fly fish. So I think I'd like to, my last cast like to be with him. If, if, if winnable, Danny Arm, fishing for the Browns. So that's where I'd like to be. Or well, maybe the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'd prefer the Bahamas. Yeah, I'm sure he would. I'm yeah. sure he would. Episode 73, my early season method and tactics for fishing the buzzer and duck fly. Anyway, cut long story short, I had three and then I had a beautiful cockfish rainbow, which you don't get very often. So that was something nice. They're all around about the two, two and a half pound. And it's great to have them on buzzers, you know. And like I said, I had my kettle with me. I was about to make a brew, but then the last fish I had, I just couldn't feel my fingers. So I decided head home for the warmth, and I'll record it today. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be talking about early season, the buzzer stroke deck fly tactics. There are many methods, many patterns, and certain conditions to fish each method, whether it's the bank or the boat. So I'll run through a few of these methods which I have found more successful. Now, there's more to buzzers than just the different patterns. Now, before we go any further, there's one thing you need when you're fishing buzzers, and that's patience. Try not to pull your flies. You know, just keep in touch. That's all you need to do with buzzers. Keep in contact with the flies. Now, when it comes to fishing buzzers on a boat, usually in March this month now, it's going to be cold. You do get your day where you might get a bit of warmth from the sun. But the majority of the fly life which are feeding on the insects are down deep. So you need to get your flies down. So, if we take it now, you're fishing off a boat, say. Because you're fishing deep, what I mean deep, you know, you don't want to be in deep, deep water early season when you're fishing buzzers anyway. Ideally, I'd be looking at, you know, the 15-foot no deeper than that, really. Maybe 20 at a push, but more often than not, 10 to 15 foot, that is a great depth to be fishing. If you're fishing a sinking line, if you're fishing slow, as I said, you're fishing quite uh, almost static, you're gonna get, you haven't got no control on it. You're going to have to pull your flies in because otherwise the, 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 um, the flies are going to get stuck. So floating line usually is the prime line to use when fishing nymphs early season. Now, because you've got the control, now then, now at buzzer time, at duck fly time, there are three different patterns which I tend to use. Like I said, when you're fishing deep, the flies you need to use are what's called epoxies or sometimes called as glues. And these tend to sink quite fast, and that's what you want. Because there's no fur or feather on it to, to slow the time for the flies to sink down. And they cut through the layers quite quick. And usually put on a, a, a heavyish hook. And then the other methods then are nymphs, which, you know, the patterns which include um, seals, fur, any sort of dubbing, they're the sort of the mid-water to upper levels flies you're going to be using. And then you've got your dries, the deck fly patterns, um, and hoppers. Episode 107, Irish International, Campbell Baird. I'm Carrick Fergus, County Antrim, so probably 10 miles from Belfast. Is that where you were originally from? Yeah, yeah, that's where I've, I grew up here. Well, I grew up in Belfast, but moved whenever I was three years of age. All right. So, We'll chat more about the fishery in a minute, but there's one thing yeah. I've got to start it off by saying congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> Quite a final, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was very good. It was a, it was a fair final. You know, the, the fishing was tough, but that, ooh, that's good. The, the pegs were all very fair for everyone. Um, it wasn't heavily stocked. Which which is great. It made for a much better match, yeah, rather than an out and out stocky bass. Yeah. So no, we we thoroughly enjoyed the fishing. It was testing at times, but sure, that's what fishing's about. Oh yeah, absolutely. So have you been there before to Garnfrood? Yes, I was. 
been going through probably maybe eight years ago for the Bank International as well as part of the team. Oh, right, right, yeah. How did you do yeah. then? And um, we didn't do very well. We didn't do very well. Oh. I think we were we were third. Yeah, we did. We didn't do very well. So you you made up for it this time then. <laughs> it was different this time. I was going to because I was there covering the event for well salmon and trout, and I we I was you know I didn't have a chance to speak to you during the day and in the night. I thought right, we'll have to get together and chat. But yeah. we had a few too many creamy ones and things got out of, <laughs> out of hand and I left and I think you actually one of the late ones you stayed there with Jamie Miller I think for a while I'm always the last one we, we <laughs> always <laughs> even if I can't see we're still the last one to leave it's traditional well, you, had a, you had a good excuse to do it anyway didn't you <laughs> yeah yeah no it was great it was great and it's good after the match you can have a good chat with people and Discuss tactics and see who yeah. we're doing what. And episode eighty-six: A man with a river rusk running through his veins. Gareth Lewis. Well, it's nice to bring me here, Gareth, to this spot on the ask. It's probably you're saying is one of your favourite spots, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. Um, so this is uh, just outside Abergavenny. Uh, it's the Gwent Anglin's Team Mower Beat. Uh, I suppose the, the flagship beat of uh, of the club, really. Um, oh, is it? Nice, nice and accessible, um, and really, really good, good trout. Um, you know, you can spend your days fishing various uh, methods, but uh, where we are sat now, I'll quite happily sit here. You know, maybe after work or through a day, um, and I'll be looking over there, the willows, and um, you know, the fish will rise there. With one of your cigars, possibly with a cigar. Yeah, sometimes a beer. Or do you normally um, wait until you have a fish before you have a cigar? I like to, yeah, because I, I kind of feel like I'm cheating myself if I, it's a bit of a trophy, you know. So. Uh, yeah. But yeah, if, you, if you're out, you know, and you've, you've come up, a, you're up at six and the fishing's not really going to kick off this time of year, it's July now, right? So it's, or June, sorry. Um, and it's not really going to kick off until, you know, that last hour and a half, two hours max before dark. Um, so yeah, sit, wait, we can see, look, there's a pair of dippers, right? Um, yeah. And you'll often see buzzards and stuff and, you know, it's the, the stuff you can see while, you know, you're waiting for the trout. How was the start of the season for you? Really good. Um... Very cold at the start of the season. Chatting to a friend the other day, Alex, and he was uh, he was upstream and me, I was downstream. And we were both just stood in those pools that we know well that are going to produce those March browns then and early yeah. season, easy season flies. Uh, and we were just stood there for like 40 minutes in the water, up to our thighs. And we knew they were going to come on. Um, but it just took that 40 minutes. And we were chattering teeth by the end of it. We caught a couple of fish, March, got out. Though. That was back in March, yeah. Uh, late in March, obviously, yeah. but we had a, you know LDOs coming off early season anyway before the March Browns, so the you know the US does fish well early season to be fair, um, but then it within three four five weeks it just flipped to summer conditions really. We haven't had um, rain now since February really, you know, no, proper yeah, rain. So it, she is on her bones a bit, but um, she's still producing quite well. Episode sixty five, YouTuber Lindsay Simpson. So this. Wednesday afternoon, we're out fishing away, and uh, it was really difficult. Usually, Ronnie'd be slaying fish, catching fish left, right, and centre, and the other boys wouldn't add, and maybe get one or two. And uh, this day, though, nobody was catching anything. Anyway, it, I gets one, and we're quite the two boats are quite close together, and so I've landed this fish, and I've killed it, knocked it on the head. That's what we used to do. I know it's not very. Uh, very trendy nowadays, but you used to have to kill all your fish when you caught them. So I caught this fish, and uh, I was cock a hoot, obviously. We've caught a fish, uh, and it was a pound a corner. Four pounds was a lot of money back then, you know. So I've held this fish up in my hand like that. Look at that! It's one nail, boys! <laughs> and the bloody thing didn't half shoot out my fingers right back into the water. And Rory said, get it! Get the fish! Get the fish! So I'm there with my neck trying to get the, and it just sunk, <laughs> sunk under the water. And Ronnie said, get, get back fishing, catch another one. And uh, so we're just slowly fishing away. And didn't the fish just float to the surface again in front of the boat? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus. It was funny. That was but, uh, So that's how, how we learned uh, walk style fishing. And I remember getting in the boat with, uh, I can't remember the lady's name, but on the list, it was a bloke's name. 
when I got in the boat, there's a, a lady sitting at the opposite end of me. I'm saying, oh, what's happened? She goes, oh, he's not so well. I'm standing in. I said, okay. And this was a Hardy's final. I don't know if you remember the Hardy's. Yeah. Used to sponsor a company. Chris Osborne run it. Yeah. So uh, I said, okay. I said, I take it you fish. And she said, oh, yeah, 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 fish. And then the, the hooter's gone. We're off out. I said, uh, you boat fish, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've been in the boat with my husband a couple of times. I said, are you happy with the drogue? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I threw my drogue, which was in a little pouch, over to her. I said, right, get the drogue sorted out. And I'm motoring, getting the drift ready. And I uh, said, right, throw the drogue in. All I hear is, splodoosh. Not like a drogue should sound when it's getting thrown at the back of a boat. I looked round, there's no drogue. I said, where's the drogue? She said, you told me to throw it in. You've got to attach it to the boat. She went, well, you didn't say that. I was like, ah, for God's sake. The and I spent the next 20 minutes driving round the fleet looking for my teammates saying, has anyone got a spare drogue? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it couldn't have been, oh, I'm so sorry, I just didn't know. Yeah. I said, well, why did you think you were throwing a pouch into the water? For God's sake, woman. Episode 69 Ladies International, Julie McGeever. The Archbishop of the uh, Drunken Gilly. Yeah. I mean, the the whole thing was, I really didn't, I'd never been out fishing. I'd never been on the lakes. And I mean, I was busy getting started with, you know, at the hotel and running a hotel. Um, and then one night he said to me after dinner, he, you know, very quiet man over dinner and he said you know I think it'd be a very good idea Julie if uh, you came out on the lake to know what your guests are doing so Julie took off the next day and went into uh, well, I don't know, a renowned angling shop in, in Ballina and got fitted for new big PVC waders and I must have got a rod and all that as well so off we went and um, he, always, he used to employ for the whole month while he, over the weeks he was there two particularly well-known gillies, and they were brothers. Yeah. But there was one thing that they were well-known for also, they were seldom sober. <laughs> and, you know, it's something you don't ever happen now, but it was, you know, 30 odd years ago, yeah. But I always think that whoever was in the best part of sobriety on the day went out with the good bishop on the day. So we went out anyway, and um, I'd say probably after the first or second cast, I had, the fly came straight back and caught me in the, the knee, I always remember the knee of the wagers. And the gilly got, spent his afternoon on his knees in front of me trying to take out the fly <laughs> out of my wagers. And I can actually still remember the fumes of the, you get stale alcohol right. space. But the bishop is sitting up there in the bow of the boat with a curly pipe, and he used to wear a tweed cap, you know, the the Irish tweed cap sole was yeah. on him. And but he always had the collar underneath his jacket, believe it or not, and he giggling away. Episode seventy two Welsh International and Eglis Nenith Chairman Jeff Thomas. There was an original pond here, um, down in the in the the southern end of the lake then. Was there that? was an original pond there. And that was, it was, I think at the time there was another works where Bogwana was. It was known as the Carbide, uh, Carbide Works. And there was a pond there. And that, that really was where the, the sort of natural side of where, how they decided to put the reservoir here. And then taking all the stone from Canelli Quarries and bringing it down here to, to create the, the dam. So that was built in 63 or was it started fishing it, in It was opened up in 63. And uh, so the fishing oh. started, I think, around about 1970, something like that, Kerry. Uh, because I remember, if you look back at all the magazines, like it, it, it had a, a big reputation for browns, didn't it, it, in the early days? In the early days, well, you would, there were people camping out down here in the early days for March of 1st, for opening day, and they were coming from Northampton, everywhere, just yeah. for opening day down here because of the big browns that were... Well, notorious for egg life fish in those days. And there's not so many browns there, no? Very, very few. Yeah. I suppose it's a, it was a case of, at the start of the season, well, that's what start of the season, start of a new water, there's lots of food in there, and the fish just, the first few seasons, they're going to... Yeah. 
grow again either, yeah. I suppose, I suppose. Well, it's, you could see that one up there now. It's in the, in the cage, you own, you own nine pounds something it was. Is it? Yeah. That's nine pounds, yeah? Yeah, nine pounds odd it was. Is there a date on it? It did uh, look. There is something on it. We'll 60s, eh? 70s? Yeah. Well, the, the guy who caught it is still on the, the committee. Is he? And he? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's still on the committee now. It's nice to have something like that on display in my uh, I good. actually caught my very first brown ever. Uh, well, in fact, I caught my first rainbow as well on uh, my first day fishing on Egglois. But I remember catching it in this corner here where we, not far yeah, where where we, we stopped. Yeah, where we stopped. Uh, corner of the bog water. Is there a name for that corner? The, the, the bay that we call that, yeah. really. Yeah. They call it the Shingle Bay now, but it's, yeah. it's always been known as the bay. It was a big wind that day. Yeah. I remember floating line. And uh, just managed to get a line out. I was drifting around Wickham's fancy. I win this Wickham's. And he was like, I was converted then. Yeah. Have we any good fish? I, that's, good that's where I had my first brown out here. It's in that bay. Is it? Same thing with the muddler. Episode 85. Corrib at Mayfly time this year. And I just went to the top of the drift. Spun the boat around. Set my drift. And it wasn't long before the clouds came over and they just looked apart. You know one of those days where everything just comes together? A lot of the time when we love fishing, it's too bright. If only there's a bit of cloud or if only there's a bit more wind or I wish the wind would drop even. But, you know, you couldn't make a better day. And I had a feeling inside me that this was going to be a good day. And it was. I start the drift, short line in. I, I wouldn't have even thought I was casting 15 yards. Just lift and cast. And what I find with, when you're fishing dries, you don't leave the dries for a long time on the water. Because nine times out of ten, my experience, the fish will always come in the first few seconds. Well, the first, the first 10, 15 seconds or so, at least, you know. And if you don't come then, lift off, false cast and out again keep casting keep moving because you want to be landing those flies on fish and they come up and take and it's always a case always be ready when those flies land because it's always that's the time when those fish are going to take it wasn't long probably about 20 minutes or so I was going down the drift casting lift cast again and all of a sudden there was a splash a splashy take you know I lifted, and yes, I thought, I'm in. And it was a fish, played hard, played round the boat, went under the boat. And for his size, he fought really, really good. And eventually netted the fish, and I'd estimated a good solid two and a half pound. Took some photographs, really golden trout it was, you know. Typical of what you'd expect in a sandy bay. So... After taking a photograph, quick film of him being released, and off he went. Made up. And that settles you then, doesn't it? There's nothing worse than fishing, fishing, fishing. You can't settle unless you've had a trout in the boat. So then I knew I was doing the right thing. And the funny thing was, even though I had the two dries on, exactly the same, size 12s they are, um, detached bodies, it was the point flight it took. So anyway, I carried on the drift, and nothing for a while, for about, I don't know, half hour or so. And now I'm drifting across the open water as a big bay. And you're drifting over yellow water into dark water, and yellow water and dark water. And then, but there wasn't a lot of fly around. So anyway, I kept on drifting. Next thing, a tiny dimple. Lift, same again. Acrobatic this time. Leapt and leapt and just around the boat and... Eventually, after a hard battle, stayed down deep, came to the net, and again, another two and a half pounder. Episode 111, The Faces Behind Clawedog, Russ and Gaz. Charge on the second day. Quite a trophy, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big trophy, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. Champions League, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cost a fortune in champagne to fill up. You <laughs> stayed here long He still it? hasn't, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was in the spring. Yeah, yeah. And then the other big, other major competition was the Sierra Pairs. Brennigan, yeah. 
That's the next one we went yeah, to, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, end of August with the Brennan, yeah. So, we have uh, chucked that one away a few times now. Have you? Like you mentioned that big brownie in Rutland and... Mm, yeah. Yeah, so it was about time we uh, won that one. So the final is a different place every year, is it? Two years it does, in yeah. one year. It moves around every couple of every years. couple of years, yeah. yeah. Tends to, anyway. So. Oh, so this was Brennick this Brennick year? Brennick this year, yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. And you just chose to pick to fish with these because you fish a lot of pairs competitions together yeah don't you? no we've, we've, we've fished together in pairs over three years I think haven't we something like that yeah three four years two yeah. seconds and a and a disaster yeah <laughs> I've seen a few times uh, where I've, I've seen video clips on Facebook of both you fishing on <laughs> a boat and uh, one of them was you you would chat into a um, a little yacht coming <laughs> alongside <laughs> <you>. <laughs> Those sort of it seems to happen at Grafham, that does. It's always Grafham. <laughs> we, we, we seem to have a little bit of um, that was close. misunderstanding with, some, with yachts. You can see his five o'clock shadow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, it, we, we were, it was in, that was in the Sheriff's final, yeah. yeah. And we hadn't done Obviously. particularly yeah. well, but we thought we could still make the prizes. So we, had, we got our limit, but we had to get back in. Well, the quickest way is A to B, isn't it? There's no deviation. You're going in a straight line from A to B. So we're going from A to B to get into the jetty as quick as we could. But obviously there was a yacht doing the same line. So we, 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 weren't, we weren't moving. And he, <laughs> he wasn't moving. And there was a few words exchanged. And, you, know, I remember, yeah, you asked him the words, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Politely. <laughs> it wasn't moving. It wasn't for moving, but... Yeah. Oh, I know uh, these issues and seem to find us, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> adrenaline as well, isn't it? In a competition, yeah, you, you, you just need to get to these places. And, uh, <laughs> we were laughing. I hope he had the funny side of it because we did. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was on my phone. I was videoing it as we were going along. Yeah. Episode ninety-three. Irish bass specialist Jason O'Riordan. Started with sea trout. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's a small river in the town here called the Colligan. Um, it used to be back in the day, I suppose before my time, it was a really prolific sea trout river. I mean, a lot of guys from Wales used to fish it. Right. We used to every summer we used to meet guys who were who come across from Wales to fish it. Um, there were some good size sea trout taken from it, you know. Yeah. Uh, nighttime fishing, so. My brothers fished, my dad fished, he tied flies, he was a pretty good fly dresser. Um, and it's funny actually, I remember I learned to fly cast at night. So when I started fishing for brown trout in the day, because there's no real brown trout in that river, it was small things. It was all mad because I could actually see where the trees were, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. so what we used to do is you'd, you'd pull off an amount of line and you'd cast across some piece of fast water um, near where you were going to fish. And you basically counted the amount of, of retrieves. So it was, you know, 10 or 12 or whatever. And then when you went fishing, you pulled off the same amount of line and you you, you knew then that you were casting across the far bank because yeah. on a really dark night, you can't see. Um, and I mean, it was probably the same. I, I, I expect you've done some, some, some sea trout fishing where you're from. Uh, they were pretty strict, I mean, about torches, uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, and we used to have some great fun. In my father's time, he told me guys used to walk from the from the local factory at lunch hour, put their rod against the tree where they were going to fish, go back to work, and they'd arrive back maybe half nine, ten o'clock that night, rod still standing against the tree. That was their spot. Really? Making them mark? Imagine... Imagine doing that now. <laughs> your, rod, your rod wouldn't last long on a river, I'd say. It wouldn't. Um, yeah, that's what he used to do back. And certain anglers at certain pools, he said, and you daren't go into a guy's pool. Like, he'd pretty much chase you off and say, hey, you can't fish here. Um, that's like and, the, uh, it's like the Germans with the deck chess. No, <laughs> the, the, the old timers had their, they had their pools and they were able to rest the pools and nobody was to fish it before they came. And, Obviously, in my time, it wasn't quite like that, but lads would arrive out maybe, you know, an hour before dark and they'd sit under a tree, and that's where they were fishing, and you had to go to the next spot, if you'd like. Um, 
and you could go and fish fish the fast water. I remember one night I got in because I was only young. I was fairly young. They used to let me walk from home. I'd walk out, fish, and once I was back about twelve thirty, one o'clock, I was okay. Yeah. Um, so particular night it wasn't that dark, and there was an old an old timer that had been fishing fishing the river a long time, and he said, "You're too early, young man." So I went up into some fast, streamy water, and I had a fly. Um, it was some sort of an American streamer pattern I'd seen in a book. Um, I don't know if they call it a hornberg or something. It had like a teal wing with yellow stripes down the side and a hackle in the front. It was an unusual looking thing yeah. at the time. I went up and I, I was pulling this thing. Basically, it was like a streamer across the current and the fish were just hammering it. Every cast, I was hitting a fish. So I had about 10 or 12 fish. I knew this fella comes around the corner and he said, what are you getting them on? And I said, I call it the too early fly. <laughs> Episode 77, a Welshman with one of the largest collection of Victorian salmon flies in the country. Richard Iron, Lacka Jones. Anglers that are tires, they'll tie a dozen of one pattern. You'd rather, like some of these flies I've seen that you tie, you know, you tie, there's a couple of hours you take to tie them. Just the one. Yeah, with the salmon flies, I tend to um, take a on average four four hours for each one um there's a saying that you tie a, a trout fly but you build a salmon fly so there's each component and you work from the back of the hook forward to the throat and then the winging process you yeah. know when you're looking at something like a jock scott it's got something like 30 separate component parts on it so you, know, it's you wouldn't do something. one of those in one sitting. You can tie and leave it. Some people do, and some people may tie three or four in a sitting, but I like to sort of do elements, and then I might go away for two days and not come back to the vice, and or I might finish it up to the throat, and then I'll take a day to think about how I want to yeah. construct the wing because there's so many methods that you can apply to a wing. Um, Did you... Did you learn it from like books yourself or was you taught a lot of the stuff? So I looked at a lot of stuff online and I was on uh, quite a few forums and um, what have you. But the one person that I can credit to investing a huge amount of time into my tying was a guy called Mark Harrison. Mark used to write, you know, hundreds of words in one email <laughs> He would curse me for every bump in the floss and every little element he'd pull me up on. No, that's not good enough. You need to do this. This is how you do it. You need to go back and try this and make it better. So, um... Was it feel deflated then? You thought you got something good and then... Yeah. You would it, rip it apart. Yeah, you do need... Push you, you get a lot of people... I'm I'm a part of a forum and... We try and encourage new people come, but it can be quite daunting to start with because, you know, there's people posting flies up who think that, you know, this is this this is the standard they need and, you know, sometimes they hear the feedback that they don't want to hear. But I think that you do need, you know, you do need that honesty if you yeah. want to strive to be the best at what you can, you know, what you're capable of. Rather than, you know, someone put a fly up and going, oh, you know, that's a great fly and, oh, that's excellent, the best I've ever seen when, you know, clearly it's not. So, you know, if you want to post something just to get the positive feedback, then you're kind of deceiving yourself, yeah. really. Episode 103, the story of the record salmon in Georgina Ballantyne's own words. Be kept tight line. And the fish were still hers. Slowly they were towed downriver to a point opposite the cottage. They saw Mrs. Ballantyne on the river bank, lantern in hand, peering into what was now a pitch black night. He shouted to her what was happening and followed the fish, hoping for even a glimpse of it. But not once did it surface. 
There was nothing but the great silent wait and the line slicing through the black water. A hundred yards below the cottage is Capath Bridge, the bridge has two pilings, and as the boat hugged the left bank of the river, the quarry made a determined rush for the far shore. Inevitably, the line would be broken. With waning strength, Miss B applied as great a strain as she dared, and slowly the fish turned, slipping between the pilings, and James Ballantyne, now rowing frantically, could just follow. She was ready to drop from exhaustion, but her father refused to touch the rod. This was a challenge only she could answer. It was nearly two hours since the salmon had been hooked in the boat pool. Now they were half a mile downstream. Once more, keeping a tight line, Miss B reeled in and felt with aching arms that the creature she had not yet seen was almost ready to be taken. It was moving slowly in short bursts. Gently, she urged it closer to the boat until they could see that the line entered the water almost vertically. Somewhere three or four or five feet down was her fish. Certainly it was ready to be gaffed, but gaffing even a normal-sized fish in the dark is not easy. How were they to manage this leviathan? James inched his way aft, set the gaff against the line, and slowly moved it down until he felt a knot on the leader. Had he not made it himself? Did he not know precisely how many blood knots he had made in the expensive silkwork gut? He ran the head of the gaff down into the water, counting each time he felt a tiny protuberance. Three, four, five. The fish must be just below. He pushed forward gently and turned the gaff and drew it up quickly. There was no mistake. With his great strong hands, he brought his daughter's catch to the surface, and with one big heave, he dragged it over the gunwales. The fish, even after more than two hours, was by no means exhausted, and leapt and flapped in the bottom of the boat. Father thought he was going to jump into the river, and threw himself on top of it. Miss B sipped her tea, eyes sparkling. 64. My Corrib. Trolling, I was in the day, and uh, I hooked and lost a good fish. Yeah, so I, I had no luck, so I, I went in to get some lunch. And on this particular day, I didn't have any um, fry up stuff for, uh, for my kettle or nothing, so I just had, like, I think it was just, just a Mars bar. And uh, I had a flask, mind. I pulled my boat up into an area. It's it's quite, um, it's the, the bay itself. in is in the, on the island it's quite shallow but if you go round the corner it sort of deepens off so what i did i just moored the boat just pushed the boat up on this like slightly steeper steeper area and um, so instead of actually getting out onto the shore then i just wedged the boat up a little bit and uh, i just sat on the bow had my coffee which i had in the flask and a mars bar and i was sitting there just eating my mars bar next thing right in front of me i'm probably Ten foot from the engine, I saw a rise. So I, I watched. I saw another rise. Another rise. And all of a sudden, I can see there's a little bit of breeze going from left to right. And I, I just watched. And this is something which I never do. If I'm trolling, I'll never have a fly rod. I'm either trolling or I'm fly fishing. But this particular day, I had my fly rods, not set up, just, just in the bag, in the bow with the boat, just behind me. And uh, on my waistcoat, not, not only fly gear even, just a waistcoat, where I had a floating line, and there's a couple of couple of um, flies. And I watched now, and it was like a flotilla of mayfly coming off. And they were all, all close distance, all around. I was looking at the shore. All these fish were on about 10 yards out, maybe closer in. And I was, I was just looking, I was fumbling now, you can imagine. Because these hatches sometimes are freak incidences they, they don't happen very often and i was watching these fish coming up taking these fly and then i thought right so he's fumbling now excited got my i actually stepped out of the boat then not to make too much noise and then i put the fly rod up 
and then I walked up the shore then about, I don't know, 30 yards, 40 yards. And the idea was we to cover these fish, walking back towards the boat, and it was just one of those right place, right time. And I covered a fish, and nothing happened. Then I cast up again, there was a little dimple, bang, into this fish. And it was seven and a half pound, and it was unreal. On the shore, and uh, it, it was just, uh, and in fact, I'll, I've got a photograph which I put up in the, um, which you will see to go with this uh, podcast. And um, it was beautiful. It, it was it was so so good. And I actually kept this one for the smoker, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I wanted to give some to a good friend of mine as well. Episode one hundred and five. A Yorkshireman with a passion for fishing Ireland. Melvin Wood. It's, uh, one of the reasons I had to speak to you, actually, was the photograph you put up last month of that amazing-looking brown, and you said he was the second biggest you've had. And where was that? Yes. Uh, that was uh, Malham Tarn. It's, it's about an hour away from me. It's right up in the Yorkshire Dales, a place called Malham. It's, it's a well-known um, walking area. It's on the Pennine Way. Yeah. Uh, and Malham Town's about 150 acres, uh, and it sits uh, on a plateau of limestone. Oh. Yeah. So it's rich in fly life then? It's very, very rich in fly life. Very, very rich. And the fish grow extremely quickly. It was it was one of those days. I mean, we it was a test day to make sure our systems worked. And um, it was the third day of a three-day testing. Uh, and I was lucky enough to, to be fishing with Rob Denson. I don't know if you know Rob Denson. No. He writes in Trout and Salmon. Uh, Trout writes in Trout and Salmon every week, every oh, month. All right. Yeah. Um, and I was fishing with Rob. And um, we're both traditional lock style men. So we were fishing traditional lock style flies. <laughs> and it was just a case of throwing them out, a couple of quick pulls, splashing the top dropper to get the fish's attention and bang they were there mind you they hadn't been fished for for four years you know so um, there was some expectation of having a good day but I had seven fish and I think Rob had about 12 and um, yeah none of those fish were under two pound really you don't get many yeah, waters yeah. like that what did he take it, it took a muddler it took um, uh, a dabbler a muddler dabbler on the second pull you know the splash and then it Thing we're on, yeah, yeah. Wow. Big fish. Very, uh, very, like Mary it's very yellow as well. Very, very, very bright fish as well, wasn't it? Yeah, well, there's two particular strains in there. There's these yellow, yellow belly things, and there's ones, ones that are quite silvery. And they both, you know, get to good size. Episode 76, Dennis Williams. He persuaded me then to come on uh, this uh, trip to, Bla- to Blagdon. So as I said, we fished there on the boat, Came up to, gone half past five, and I hooked this fish, and it was a six-pound brownie. And I had this brand-new rod, which I bought, a ten-footer, from a chap who at the time was the president of Ospreys, Sandy Palmer. And he was a, a lived in Caerphilly. He was a bit disabled, but he made fiberglass rods. And a lot of the Ospreys had them, you know, ten-foot fiberglass, which was a good rod for reservoir fishing. So I'd bought this rod, and in the rush then to get back to the weigh-in, I got off the boat. Cardinal Sin pointed the rod forward instead of backwards, pointed the rod forward, and in running to the get to the weigh-in, ran into a tree with my rod <laughs> and snapped it on the very first time. Oh, but, no. <laughs> but as it happened, Sandy Palmer got to know about this and gave me another rod. Did he? Yeah. So I, I had two for the price of one, or one and a half. How did you do in the competition? So the competition then, I went to the competition, and of course, six-pound brownie, I won it. Oh. Because <laughs> that was my very first competition, and um, and I won it purely I bet it was on a name for a buzzer as well, was it? Oh, yes, it would have been, yeah. Episode 81, Monaghan Angler, with a passion... For Loch Sheelin and Loch Corrib, Peter Boyle. Competition on a bike, oh, a good number of years ago. 
and I was partnered with this guy and I had um, I had a green peter on the tail and I had a bibio on the top dropper and I was bringing the flies in through just you're, you're talking about stories and I was bringing the fly in through the waves and mixing this lovely song and come up and he took the bibio one I knew he wasn't that well hooked you know yeah. and I played him and I kind of played him a wee bit harder than I should have and just as the sun had come to the boat, he started jumping. And so he started jumping, I stuck the net in, and I said, I'll get him into the net. And oh, he just went bananas. He went aerial, and next thing, he jumped up in front of me, and I could see the fly going one way, and the trout going the other way. And that was it, the trout was gone. And I said, oh, here, I wouldn't even like to say what I said. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your, man, your man in the front of the boat, then he started telling me how I should have done it, you know. And I said, listen, not to worry, it's done, it's done, he's gone, he's gone. And I said, well, get out and get another one. And as I pulled the net in here, the fish had <laughs> swam into the net. <laughs> oh. I swear to God, it, it must have been when the trout jumped and he hit the water, he must have went to swim underneath the boat looking for shelter. And Jeez. when he swam underneath the boat, he swam into the net. And you're talking about the racket I had with that guy in the boat. He was telling me that I, sh- I wasn't allowed to wade in. <laughs> wow. I mean, you couldn't, you can't wade in. And I said, here, just, you just watch me wade it in. <laughs> Imagine, you know. But what's you the chances of that ever happened? You could that up, could you? That would... uh, no, but I'll, t- I'll tell you now, I'll tell you about the one that happened. It happened to me. Episode 79, a story of a hidden lake in the South Wales Valleys and a rusty bucket. I just sat there. Put my bag to one side with a Kelly kettle, ready for when I get back. Now I was going to walk round the lake, and off I set. It was plain to see quite early on that the banks are really hard going, very clumpy, very boggy, and overgrown. So the easiest thing for me to do was to wade in. So I quietly waded into the shore. The wind's blowing behind me, out into the lake. It was the far side that appealed to me on the left-hand bank. There was mistiness in the air and it was damping. What do I mean damping? Like a misty rain. Conditions weren't too bad. What a beautiful looking place. It looked haunting. And around the banks of the left-hand side were the start of hawthorn bushes just starting to blower. Didn't make a cast. Slowly inched my way around the side, waiting to see if I could see anything. And I saw a little dimple way down. So I walked slowly slowly now I found when you fish in these small lakes you can say with wild fish I try not to cast blind it always pays to look for fish spot fish and then fish for them because by casting blind and walking the bank casting blind you're going to spook them so I just kept walking and walking and then I thought right I was probably coming to around 50, 60 yards from where I thought I saw this fish rise. As I was walking down, I could see the fish rose again. Only a tiny little dimple. So I know there's at least one fish in the lake. Would it have been from the initial stocking from the from Tommy's bucket? Anyway, I pulled some line off. I'm probably about 30 yards away now. The fish was rising just on the edge of the reeds. The misty rain was getting quite heavy, you know. And the mist lowering, covering the mountain on the far side. So I pull some line off. Asked about 15 yards. I wait. Pull some more line off. Crept ever so slowly. Cast about 25 yards. Bang on to where I saw the fish rise. With the rain coming down. Which helped to dry. Sometimes when your fish dries, they could be too high in the water. With the rain, it was just dampening the fly and it was in the film. I waited and watched. And all of a sudden, a little dimple came up. I lifted, and I was in. To my amazement, as soon as I struck, the fish took line. I just took and ran and ran, and I was shaking him. I didn't expect for one minute there could be anything that would take line, let alone anything in this lake. Headed for the reeds, but I managed to turn him. And after about, I don't know, three or four minutes battle, slid over my waiting net. I had the biggest smile on my face, I gotta say. I walk out to the bank then, laid the fish on a nice mossy bit of bank, took a quick picture before released her to see her swimming off. It was a great experience, I gotta say, to think that that fish probably came from the generation of initial stock with Tommy Awood and his dad all those years ago. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I did putting it together. And as it's Christmas, I have prizes for my patrons. 
from guests who have supported the podcast from the start and have kindly donated the prizes. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank them. Irish professional tyre, Jimmy Tarrell, Sam Funning from Nathan Dillis Angling Association, Wynne Jones from his leatherwork, Peter Cockwell and Craig Barr from Flash Attack Flies. So if you're not already a patron and want to enter for the chance of winning the prizes and get access to over 100 episodes plus exclusive content, sign up by clicking patreon.com forward slash Jones or visit my website castingwithcurryjones.com Well, have a great Christmas and as always, don't strike too soon. <laughs>